0: 65 down, 300 to go. My name is Chris. This is At A Theater Near Me, the podcast where I go to the movie theaters every single day for an entire year. Uh, today, I'm going to be talking about the movies Goodfellas and Hotel Transylvania 4, Transylvania. Uh, it's a bizarre sentence to say, but that is what this show is. Uh, before we go any further though, I have to talk about the amazing popcorn at Popped Gourmet Popcorn. Popped has a store in Salem, Massachusetts, uh, but you can all, they also have an online store, popstores.com. That's P-O-P-P-E-D, stores.com, has over 100 flavors available. They have a full-time popcorn chef, comes up with new and creative flavors each and every week. Uh, they offer bulk popcorn corporate gifts, wedding bags. But if you just want popcorn for your house, go there. You can get uh, individually packaged popcorn. That's what they sent me. They can do almost anything, almost any size. And best of all, they can ship anywhere. Like I said, they sent me over a bunch of flavors. So what I did was I brought a couple of the flavors over to my friend's house. Uh, I went over there this weekend. I had the pizza flavor and the sweet Italian cookie. The sweet Italian cookie, the pizza was good. The sweet Italian cookie was amazing. It tasted like it came out of like the those like different colored cookies you get at the italian bakery it tasted like those it, in popcorn it was i don't know how they make these flavors uh they do an incredible job over there uh the salt and vinegar like i said i know i keep talking about it it is so good the salt and vinegar popcorn is amazing but the sweet italian cookie if you have a sweet tooth that's a, it's a no-brainer there so if you go to popstores.com and use promo code movies with chris that's movies with chris c-h-r-i-s one word. You'll save 25% off your entire order. That's movies with Chris at popstores.com. Go check out their flavors right now. Okay, so Goodfellows is such a massive movie. I-, I couldn't do it myself. So I brought on Justin Jones. Hello, Justin.
1: Hey, Chris, how's it going?
0: Good. So, Justin, I, I talked, I don't know, a couple weeks ago about video rental stores. And Justin's like, well, I managed a video rental store and we were, we were chatting about it in DMs and I was explaining how my favorite video rental experience of all time is Goodfellas. I, Goodfellas came out in uh, 1990. I uh, had not, I was 10 years old, so I didn't, I didn't see it in the theaters, um, but I rented it a couple years later. And like I said, it's the, it, this like reservoir dogs are probably the two greatest like video rental experiences of my life. Um, I love Goodfellas. It's the second best movie ever made. And sure enough, it was playing at the Luna. The theater on Sunday. So I asked Justin to come with me and, he, and uh, he did. And Justin, Goodfellas, how much do you love it?
1: Goodfellas is a phenomenal movie. I, I know I'm going outside the box here. Maybe wild no takes. Wild takes over here. But no, Goodfellas, I mean, what can be said about it? It's a nearly flawless film. And to see it for the first time on the big screen, because again, in 1990, I think I was all of 10 years old. So to actually be able to watch something, uh, that that level of cinema on the big screen was was a really eye-opening way to watch it. I'm so used to watching it. I think when I first started, it, it was probably on like a 12-inch screen. And so the fact that we're actually able to watch it as it is supposed to be represented was something that was really, really great.
0: Yeah, the experience itself for me wasn't as great uh we'll get into the kind of the, the, the Wounded Theater experience or some of the crowd experience, I guess is more. Likely,
1: there were some problems. Yes. <laughs> it,
0: basically people didn't <laughs> shut the fuck up. Um, but we'll, we'll talk about that at the end, but I do just kind of talk about Goodfellas as a whole. I never got to talk about Goodfellas on Quantum Week. Um, and it is just such an amazing film. We, we probably won't do it justice here. I just don't have enough time. I mean, you could talk about Goodfellas for, for hours and hours. Um, there is a good book about it. Made men um, that kind of goes over the, Goodfellas as a whole, but um, obviously it's based on the book Wise Guy by Nick Pelleggi, Um and uh, Martin Scorsese read that book and immediately reached out to Pelleggi and they and they made this movie. They wind up making Casino as well five years later. Um, so when I think Martin Scorsese, the first movie I think of is this one. I know back in the in the eighties or even into the nineties, uh, the first movie people thought of with him typically would be Raging Bull, um, but somewhere along the lines, this I think has passed it by. Uh, maybe it's because the long cable run it had, or what? But I feel like Goodfellas now is is the is the preeminent Martin Scorsese film.
1: When you say Scorsese, the first movie I think of is Goodfellas. Uh, I would actually think, as I've watched it, you and I have probably seen this movie fifty, a hundred times. Yeah. And the more we watch it, the more I'm drawn to other Scorsese movies. I think do some parts of Goodfellas better. And I think that Casino is a really great example of that. For some reason, it takes a lot of the pieces of Goodfellas and I think heightens them. It could just be the performances of all the the cast that's involved. But there's parts of Casino that I see are an elevated form of Goodfellas. Not to say there's anything wrong with Goodfellas, but it was something that I, I started to notice I was watching it the 51st, the 52nd time that I was just kind of taking elements of that and enhancing them in other movies.
0: I think we're maybe alone on that island. Um, so <laughs> I... Goodfellas is the second best movie ever made. But I would be lying if I didn't say I liked Casino more. Like yeah. Casino is just more enjoyable for me. Now, look, Casino came out five years later. It is definitely has a lot of elements of a ripoff of of Goodfellas. Like you even have, you know, Joe Pesci in a similar character. Um right. it's it's very like I said, a lot of the the way they you know, the way they Scorsese made Goodfellas was he said he wanted it to almost be like a two and a half hour long trailer. So like, it's just full, you know, it's, you're just going up, you know, 90 miles an hour, uh, for two and a half hours. And, and that's how it feels, but that's kind of how casino feels too. Like they're directed very similarly. I think casino is, I, I think you're right. I think there are some things he really mastered. And a lot of it is just kind of how it's shot. Like, don't get me wrong. The Copacabana scene in Goodfellas is an amazing, amazing work. Um, but like some of the cinematography photography and some of the, being able to use things like the desert. Like I always think back to that shot in casino of like De Niro's sunglasses. And like, you see Pesci speeding away or even just the dust hitting, uh, De Niro as Pesci drives away. Like those things are that, that looks amazing. It's a work of art where there's a grittier element to Goodfellas, which, you know, it all takes place in New York city. A lot of it's in Queens. It is a grittier place to be than, than Vegas. Uh, but I do, I like, if you told me I had to watch one movie, like, for the rest of my life, you know, one, you know, or why I could only have one left. I, I might stick with casino bizarrely. I think
1: I would too. And it's funny. I remember there was an episode of quantum week where you guys reviewed the abyss and talking about James Cameron's career. And your, the thing you had on abyss was that the abyss was the training ground for him to master the special effects that ultimately turned into T2 and everything beyond that. And that's kind of what this feels like with Goodfellas. Oh, he learned a lot in Goodfellas to be able to apply that to casino and really create A heightened level of of cinema, which is something I was thinking about, you know, in watching this movie uh, again.
0: I do feel bad, though, like calling you know what we're doing here a little bit is calling Goodfellas like training wheels. Like it's not that. Like this is an amazing, amazing movie, And, and it it was really cheated at the Oscars. So we probably should talk about that real quick. I mean, you know, this movie has a bizarre Oscar legacy of sorts. So this is the year that dances with wolves won. Um, I think this is like a sneak, uh, I don't think it's sneaky good movie year, but this is, I think a better movie year than people give it credit for. I think people Agreed. look and say, Oh, dances with wolves year, or, you know, yawn and dances with wolves is a good, but pretty boring movie. Um, but the other movies nominated it was a wild field. You had dance with wolves awakenings, um, which is a, I think a, a very good movie. It's with Robert De Niro and Robin Williams, uh, ghost, um, which was a monster hit, uh, A movie you probably wouldn't see nominated for Academy Award nowadays, um, that kind of movie, but... uh, Back in 1990, the Oscars were a little bit friendlier to like blockbuster movies. You have The Godfather Part Three, which was there obviously on reputation alone, and then you had Goodfellas. And by the time Oscar night rolled around, it really was Goodfellas versus Dancing with Wolves. Like that was it was a two horse race going into it. Goodfellas was nominated for six six Oscars, excuse me. They only won uh, Joe Pesci for Best Supporting Actor. Uh, And you know when the time came, Costner won his Best Director which is wild for Dance with Wolves and then Dance with Wolves wins um, Best Picture. One other note here on the Oscars is Robert De Niro. So De Niro gets nominated for Best Actor, but it's not for uh, Goodfellas. It was for Awakenings, um, which is the only Oscar nomination Robert De Niro got in the entire decade of the 90s was this nomination for Awakenings. You know, think of all the other movies he was in in the 90s, Casino, um, Sleepers, Sleepers. uh, This Boy's Life, uh, Bronx Tale. You know, you go through him, uh, and he did not get another nomination um, until I believe it wasn't until uh, *Silver Linings Playbook* um, was that's the right. next nomination he would get. Yeah, that's a good way to win a couple of bar bets. I think is that you know what was you no know, what movie was Robbie De Niro nominated for in 1990? It was actually *Awakenings*. And I, I do think that not only was De Niro cheated because he's fantastic in this. Um, there's a shot of him um, when he realizes he's going to kill everyone. Like it's it's. When he realized he's going to kill everyone to help him out on the Tansa heist, um, and he's kind of just sitting at a bar and just watching that Mori guy and he's just like kind of staring at him and you can see like the evil in his eyes. It's amazing. Like 15 second shot of no dialogue and he's just staring ahead. It is brilliant acting. Like he is, he is a force in this movie and he's a quiet force though. He never does too much. He lets kind of Joe Pesci do that. It's a really great job by him. And I feel like he was really ignored in the best act best actor race, which is a shame.
1: He also he jumps off the screen too when they first introduce him. They say Jimmy Conway and he walks in and just the, the look he has in his face. He's treating everyone. He's making sure everyone's getting paid. He's also the funny thing about that movie. He's the only person in that movie that was actually allowed to handle real U.S. currency. All the other money is fake except his money is real, and they actually had to cause after every guy uh, the, when they would break. For each scene, everyone would say hold, and they have to make sure that all the money was there to people because again there was a lot of um bobsters who were involved in the movie as well who were brought in as extras. They had to make sure all the money was 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 <laughs> correct in terms on the table, which is very funny, I thought.
0: That's a great note for sure. Uh yeah. I think he was the perfect age for this. He was 47 when they made this. And he was so, in my opinion, he looks believable enough as young Jimmy. Like so, you know, Jimmy's probably in his 30s there. And yet he's believable enough when he's older, Jimmy, like when he's telling another great scene when he's telling Lorraine Bracco, you know, which he's like by that rack of coats and no, no, you want to go further, go further down that alleyway, uh, which would probably just down, lead there. To death. just down there, just down there. Um, and he's like older, Jimmy, I believe he's older as well. It's like, he's in that perfect middle ground. Uh, Scorsese sent De Niro the script and, um, De Niro, uh, read it. He's like, well, I'm too old to play Henry Hill. What about Jimmy? And that's like, Scorsese is like, yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking as well. Um, so, you know, De Niro is, is so great in this. In a lot of ways, this is one of my favorite things he does. The next year, he does the movie Cape Fear, which is very good. In that movie, he's like, you know, working with Scorsese again, but he's wildly over the top. Um, yeah. But in this movie, I really liked how he kind of restrained himself a bit. But then on the other side, I think uh, Ray Liotta gets cheated uh, of a nomination here. I think he's fantastic in this movie. He's the lead role in one of the most acclaimed, beloved movies of all time. And he not only did he not get an Oscar nomination, he, as far as I can tell, he didn't get a nomination of anything. No Golden Globe, no anything. He he seems like he was completely ignored here uh, in the award race.
1: I have a theory. Okay. <laughs> and I was looking at this when we were watching it the other day. Ray Liotta's smiles and laughs in this movie. Ray Liotta smiles and laughs like he is an alien who just read a book about how to smile and laugh. Everything is this exaggerated, overblown. Like I don't know anyone on, on this earth who laughs and smiles like he does. And it's a little distracting, you know, 30 years on rewatching this movie. Um, but that was maybe one of my thoughts as to, again, it's not the only reason, obviously, but because this film is loaded with stars and stuff to nominate everyone. But I think there were some parts of it that were a little beyond the reality of the scenes.
0: Well, I mean, it is a gif. Like, you know, him laughing during the whole, like, do I amuse you scene, like that is literally a gift because he's he laughs so oddly and his smile is so sort of menacing i think the smile the laughing is a little weird the smile is that's kind of i don't know. see his trademark but i think it kind of works for this role because there is something menacing about his face like he's a handsome enough guy but then there's something like there's something sinister there and you see it with that smile so i think for me that smile kind of works but i just look at like look at the movie and like you know, if, if you're ever bored, like watch the first 45 minutes and like, see when we're kind of introduced to him, like watch the, um, watch him kind of with Lorraine Brock at the beginning of the movie when it's like, you know, it's supposed to be the the very early sixties, like 1963, they say, and then like shut the movie off and then like put it back on. Um, if you have the DVD, like flip ahead, like, you know, an hour and a half and then watch him looking up at the helicopters. Like it's the same guy, it's the same character. And, If you watch them like that, if it's that jagged and you watch it like right up against each other, it's like, that's kind of weird. But because he's such a good actor and we're on that journey with him, this is such a well-crafted movie. You totally believe that by 1980, he's that guy. He's this coked up lunatic. That's completely out of control when you wouldn't have believed that it's the same guy in 1963 that he'd end up up that way.
1: And I think he said, I don't know if you read the GQ article, the oral history of Goodfellas.
0: Uh, I did. I didn't for this, but I have before.
1: Yeah, and it's he talks about the fact that when he was you know talking with Henry Hill, how difficult it was to get inside the head of someone who's a co-cat because he obviously didn't do any of that, and it was very difficult to understand you know what that range is and how to play that that part, especially during that time. Yeah, well, the, they're, lucky, they're
0: lucky they had Henry Hill still alive. So you know, Nick Pelleggi said you know the reason Goodfellas you know it exists or the reason well, it was called in the book's wise guys, but. Um, is because Henry Hill, I guess, is an amazing memory. And he's also a really good storyteller. And like Peleggi was saying, like, when you talk to gangsters or talk to mobsters, it's they, they typically give like one word answers. Like they're trained their whole lives to be vague. And they're trained their whole lives to have kind of a short memory. So they don't yep. rat on their friends. Like so memory is something you're almost taught to like disregard in that world, but Henry Hill, and they, you know, some people say it's because he's half Irish, he's a storyteller, or it might just be kind of how he's wired. Or maybe he was always intending to be a rat. Maybe this was like kind of the long game for him. I don't know. But he has an amazing recall with a lot of the stuff that happened with him and really good specific details. Like he could tell you his first car he bought with his first loan shark dollars. And he could tell you the first bets he made that paid off. And, um, and he loves to be, as we saw later on, after Goodfellas, of course, you know, he's been in, you know, he was on Howard Stern a ton in the 90s. He ended up being kicked out of the witness protection program. Like he ended up being a guy that really fell in love with the camera. He ended up owning his own restaurant in Connecticut for a while. He, he became a fame hound, but you could argue he kind of always was maybe like even the stuff with the mob, he, he enjoyed that limelight and that, that, that life. So because of that memory and because of him willing to be so accessible, Ray Liotta, Rob De Niro, a lot of these guys reached out to him and asked, like, how does Jimmy Conway talk? Or, Ray Liotta would reach out to him and be like, oh, how did you deal with this uh, problem in your life? Like, How did how did it feel internally to you? And they were able to use that, and I think that's what made the movie feel so realistic.
1: And I think what's interesting about his life too, and especially, actually, I want to take it back a little bit. I think what's interesting about the Ray Liotta performance, um, especially when he was confronting, if you remember, when you confronted uh, Lorraine Bracco's neighbor uh, yeah. regarding the assault. And as it turns out, right at, when they were shooting that scene, it, it was probably within the three, first couple of days that I think uh, Ray Liotta's mother got sick. I think she may have even died. I, I have to go back to my notes to check it. But so he was dealing with all that anguish and that hate and that anger. And I think the actor was very concerned for his welfare that, oh, my God, Ray Liotta going to beat the shit out of me. Right. Uh, and that was something that had to be contained on set that I think he brought to that performance as well, which was very interesting to learn about.
0: Well, he, he always does seem like he's like one step away and, uh, and, you know, he, he has had some, I would say minor issues, but like he got, you know, he got arrested for drinking and driving about 10 or so years ago. Um, like he's, he's always seems to be a guy kind of on edge or I said, a, a little sinister about him. I don't know if it's just kind of the roles he kind of plays or if it's a little bit of both there. No, Leona is an interesting actor. I just, I said, I kind of go back to, to that original point. Like, I don't know if he was cheated here. So here's, Jeremy Irons wins for Reversal of Fortune. Okay. So then you have, Kevin Costner was nominated for Dancing with Wolves, which, I mean, it's, it's a, look, I, Kevin Costner is a, is a very good actor, but and he's fine in that movie, but when we're ignoring a Robert De Niro performance in Goodfellas and we're ignoring Ray Liotta, it's, it seems like a bit much. And we have De Niro for Awakening, who so I think is very good in that movie. You have Gerard Depardieu for uh, Cyrano de Bergerac, which I have not seen. And you have Richard Harris for a movie called The Field. Richard Harris is a very good actor. The Field, was even 1990, was a, a very small film that no one had seen. I just I feels like in hindsight that might have been a miss missed by the Academy there. Uh I feel kind of bad for Lyota, especially looking at how his career turns out. It's not a bad career at all. The guy always was working. I mean, if you're a video game fan, he went on to do Grand Theft Auto uh, by City, right. which is maybe my favorite video game of all time. Is uh look at the movies he does right after that. So he does good fellas. He's coming off of Field of Dreams, where he had a smaller part, but he's in two Academy Award nominated movies. He follows in ninety-two. With a movie called Article Ninety Nine, which is like a comedy drama with Kiefer Sutherland, where they're playing doctors. I, I it, it kind of came and went, and they did a movie called Unlawful Entry, which which did make a, a little bit of money. It's with Kurt Russell, Madeline Stowe. He plays the bad guy there. All right, and then two years later, he does a movie called No Escape, which is uh, like a sci-fi movie where they're tra- he's trapped an island with Lance Henriksen and uh, Ernie Hudson in the future. And then Karina Karina, which is with Whoopi Goldberg. It's like a um, I don't say a rom-com, but it's like a family rom com of sorts. And like none of those movies really hit. And eventually by the end of the decade, he's back to being a supporting actor with like, things like Copland or the movie Hannibal. Like it, it just never worked as a leading man for him and I don't know i think in 1990 i would have bought a lot of stock in Ray yoda and i probably would have lost some money i guess but like I, I feel bad in hindsight that he didn't get the enough acclaim for this role because it ended up being i know he was in the movie something wild in the late 80s but i mean people are going to remember Ray yoda for really one thing and it's this movie
1: i think it's because he doesn't have leading man looks i mean he has certain parts of it he can't put it quite all together That he has you know the puppy dog eyes who needs to have those he can have the intensity on screen when it's called for that but i, I think there's there's just something missing. I actually think one of his better roles later into his career was the Dad in Blow. I thought that was a a a restrained performance of someone you can see that there's intensity behind it, uh, but is obviously trying to keep his the, relationship with his son very positive in terms of how they're gonna, you know, work through his issues of, you know, obviously drug dealing, which I'm sure is the reason they actually <laughs> cast him to begin with. But I thought that was a nice. Quiet yet grounded performance
0: by him. I totally agree, and that, that's actually a pretty good movie. Um, he just died recently, George Jung, the uh, Johnny Depp a character. Years ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, you're absolutely right. Uh, that's a very good performance, and he's in a movie, one of my favorite comedies of the last twenty years, "Observe and Report." He has a, he has a smaller role of that, and he's good in that. Yes. He's good in everything. He's always a, a he's a very solid actor. It's just like it must be tough to have like, all right, I'm in this like it's almost like a baseball player. You have like one MVP season where you're like, you know get the triple crown maybe. And then you end up having like the rest of your career, you're pretty good. You're hitting, you know, 20, 25 home runs every year, but you're never going to hit that triple crown again. It must be, I wonder if it's tough to, to kind of have your, you'll never be in a movie as good as Goodfellas again. He'll never have a leading role in a movie like that ever again. And he probably knew that like five years later. So I wonder if that's challenging. I, I don't know.
1: And I'm trying to think of the young actors who would have been competing for similar roles for him in 1991. You're probably looking at what River Phoenix, um, oh no! I mean, for this,
0: it was Tom Cruise was up for this role. Uh, yeah, yeah. They were, I think Sean Penn might have been up for this. There were uh, there were a lot of guys who who wanted this, especially. Well, De Niro was the last guy to sign on, but you know, people wanted to work with Scorsese. And once De Niro signed on, they were able to up that budget up. Then that's that's what got the budget up to twenty five million is when De Niro signed on. Uh, at first, uh, Scorsese couldn't get funding because you know, for most of Scorsese's career, he was a, a guy known as someone that just. Made critical hits, critical hits, but not box, box office bombs. Martin Scorsese was box office poison. In fact, this ended up making forty seven million, and at the time, uh, it was his biggest box office success ever. Now, obviously, he went on he went on to do Gangs in New York and Departed, and those movies made a lot of money. And now Scorsese is a guy that you know ha- has a good box office pedigree. But in, in this time in history, he was it was the opposite. So, um, it wasn't until De Niro signed on where they were able to get a real budget for this movie and get the the music they wanted for it. And obviously a lot of it shot in location, but you know, to get, to kind of cross some of those T's and dot some of those I's they needed De Niro to sign on.
1: What's crazy about the music too, is that Scorsese in his head had all of the songs that he was going to use for this movie three years before production started. I think there's something like 43 songs in the movie itself. And he knew exactly where they were going to go. He'd already identified them to a certain extent. I blame him for every time I hear give me shelter in another if I hear give me shelter one more time in a saw in a movie, I'm going to lose it. But uh the fact that he was able to structure all that and keep it together, 3 years prior to production and then putting it in and crafting his scenes around it uh is incredible.
0: It is. And, and right, the soundtrack is is huge. It's, it's incredibly long. And the use of some of the movies some of the music like Jump into the fire by Harry Nielsen in that scene might be my favorite use of music in any movie. Um, maybe out of time by the Rolling Stones and once upon a time in Hollywood, like those are probably my two favorite instances of using music. I just think the, you got a piece of it being this Coke fuel paranoia. You have a piece of it being this, uh, urgency that the, the feds really are coming in and then you have a piece of it being that song is awesome so you
1: combine yeah. those three
0: elements and you end up with a incredible cinematic experience especially coming off like i said the slick 60s when, when you know everything's just right the cars is just right they're they're dressed just right we see things like you mentioned like um when Lorraine Bracco's character gets, gets beat up by that guy thrown out of a car. And then he goes over and, and gets revenge. You're rooting for Henry Hill there. Cause that, that's movie justice, right? In the movie world, it's okay for a guy to go in there and just beat the shit out of another guy. If they abuse a woman, you know, if you abuse a woman, an animal or a kid, you can do whatever you want to that person in, in, in movie justice rules. But what Scorsese kind of dumps in her head then is like, all right, well, if this is true, if characters are willing to do that, then what else is true? What else would these guys do? And some of the things they'll do are just despicable movie justice or not. They end up becoming, just you know, they're horrible, horrible people. And we see that at the end. And what Scorsese does so well is he doesn't care if we like these guys at the end of the movie. Like He doesn't give a shit if we like Henry Hill. And that's why Henry Hill kind of breaks that that fourth wall. And he kind of looks at us. And he's talking directly to us. I mean, Joe Pesci even shoots us at the end of the movie. I don't know if you're supposed to like Henry. It's he's a rat. And, you know, we're taught the whole movie to hate rats and he becomes one. But yet you understand why he becomes one. It's an amazing it's an amazing work that Scorsese does here that he doesn't he's not able to pull off in casino. He's able to really have a lot of vague. Who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? What does this mean for our soul that casino doesn't have?
1: So it's interesting you talk about that. I was I was thinking about this while I was watching the movie. It actually brought me back to, I'm gonna shout it out again, a Quantum Week episode that talked about Ghostbusters. And I think one of the big things that came out of that conversation was that none of those characters really have arcs. They are at the end who they were at the beginning. And that's very true of Goodfellas. I don't know if that's just because it was the life rights and that's just you know, how it all played out. But no one in this movie really grows, maybe with the exception of Karen, who goes from you know not knowing anything about it to becoming fully invested in it. But, everyone at the end of the movie is exactly who they were at the beginning, just a little bit wealthier and a little bit more involved in the life.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. People really don't change. I mean, that's kind of what Sopranos tells us too, right? I had I talked about Godfather with Kirk a couple weeks ago when we talked about the influences that Godfather has with Sopranos. But this is the not only the actors. I mean, you have so many actors from Sopranos that are in Goodfellas. But just some of the stuff they do, whether it be kind of that casual conversation they're have when the guys are just kind of at the restaurant just kind of having drinks or just kind of fucking around or just, just talking about nothing. A lot of this kind of casual conversation. Sopranos took so much of that and put it into that show. That's one thing, like as much as me and you might like Casino or love Casino, Goodfellas is just so much more influential and so much more important into culture than, than Casino will ever be um, just because of all the things Scorsese was doing for the first time that worked, like having those casual conversations with gangsters. So, and then and the other part of it that's tricky about that is just like with Sopranos, you end up liking these guys. So like, oh, these guys, seem fun to hang out with but then you see the stuff they do and you're and if you spend any real time thinking about it you're like these guys are like evil scumbags these guys are horrible people uh and it's kind of that reality that hits you in the face at the end of this movie um that i think makes it also so rewatchable too it's like oh wow like you can kind of these guys never change it's you the viewer that changes now that's right. Because you're seeing more of what they're doing. You see what they're capable of. And you also see like how fucked up and dysfunctional their lives are. Like at first they give that image of like, oh, they're dressed to the nines. They got the fancy cars. But then when you're like doing a deeper dive into it, you're like, oh, this isn't a life I'd want at all.
1: It's almost a facade to a certain extent. It's It's very family and friend oriented when amongst the crowd, right? But as things start to fracture, it becomes every man for himself. And I'm going to Screw you over, so I get one step up uh, above that, and that really comes down to Jimmy's whole thing of you could just let these people go, you could pay them and let them go, but he got greedy and he felt the need to I need more, 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 and started wiping out people unnecessarily, and it's it's really an incredible look into the selfishness of the soul and how these people reacted under pressure.
0: Yeah, to me, the most the first time we really see a real crack in the facade of like well, these guys are not good people really not good people is when henry's in jail and lorraine brocco visits him and they're talking and uh she's just like no one's helping us like everyone just kind of has been avoiding me he's like well that's what happens when you're in jail everyone just kind of you're on your own it's like well that seems pretty shitty you know, you're only as good as what you're earning. So, I mean, I understand it. I under, I I get it. But when you're actually, that's what Scorsese does so well here is when you actually see it, you see this like single mom, basically with, with two kids, just probably trying to make this work. And we see their house when Henry gets out of jail and how tiny that little apartment or that house is when they're all sleeping in the same room and you're like, these guys suck. No one can come and help this woman out. Like what the fuck They're supposed. they, they say they're family, they go on all these vacations together, but the second things get rough, they, they, they scram it. it it's, Henry Hill knew that was the life that he was getting into though. He, that's one thing I like about it. He does not he definitely obviously becomes a rat, but he never once says like, no, I was dealt a bad bill of goods. He's like, no, this is what I knew I was getting into. And I I want to do this.
1: No, he's unapologetic. Yeah. And that's why you were, you talked about earlier, like maybe he always wanted to become a rat. I don't think so. I think if he could have kept this going, you wouldn't have heard boo from him and he would have continued this lifestyle long into his old age.
0: You might be right uh that that's that could very well be the case i i I meant it more subconsciously i guess than consciously with him um but you're right if he was able to have like say 1965 just every year a different variation 1965 i think you're right i think he just keeps riding that train as long as it'll go it's when the drugs got involved and and that's another thing too like i think we were talking a little before the movie when we were eating lunch like boogie nights like Boogie Nights, as much as I love that movie, like, it completely rips this off. Like, because yeah. we were talking about that great one-shot of Copacabana, and you're like, oh, I like the one-shot in Boogie Nights better. And the one-shot in Boogie Nights is more uh, masterfully done, if you will. But, like, the only reason to exists in that movie is because Goodfellas had a one-shot. The only reason, well, like...
1: Well, the only reason this one... I don't know if it's the only reason, but the reason this one-shot exists in this movie is because of De Palma in The Untouchables. So... Scorsese saw that and said, what if we did something like that, but a minute longer? That's a very good point. And, <laughs> and that, he's on and, record saying it, so. <laughs>
0: no, and that's right. And right. And I'm glad you said that because it's not like Scorsese invented the one shot. It's not like Scorsese invented a lot of this stuff here. You see some of this stuff in some foreign films like Jules and Jim, some of these techniques that are using. So that's a good point. And Tarantino gets shit on a lot. It's like, oh, Tarantino just rips off other directors. You'll, you'll hear that critique on him a lot. Well, Scorsese does a lot of the same stuff too. Scorsese and Tarantino both love movies and they watch movies. And I don't think it's a fair critique for either of those guys. What they're doing is they're pulling out some ideas from some of the movies they've seen and they're recalibrating them and then using them in different ways. Like you said, they're making it, taking De Palma's idea of that that great one-shot in Untouchables and, oh, we're going to put that in... A longer run through Copacabana. They also did it to save costs because they weren't able to use the front of that building. They had to go through the back, so that's, that's right. why they Scorsese worked the
1: entire downstairs to make it longer.
0: Right. That was the other reason that Scorsese did it as well was just to save money. I I, I think that is an unfair critique on some directors that just simply love movies, and it's not like I said not like they're re, they're not like they're doing total remakes or reshoots. They're they're putting a different spin on it. But you're right though. It, it's not this is not Scorsese is not the inventor of that of that one shot, and sometimes he gets credited as that. And that's a good point, but it's, that's not true.
1: And it's funny you th- I was actually I had this question. I was going talk to talking about later on, but we can talk about it now. If you could have the career of Tarantino or Scorsese, what would you pick? Now, obviously, like you have your favorite movies and whatever. But like the acclaim from the Academy versus the you know the newness you brought from independent cinema. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on that.
0: I mean, I, I think I'd probably take Scorsese's career. I think that like Goodfellas is going to be that's one of those movies that's going to last a long time. Like, you know, I think, because it helps to period piece, like what Kirk and I were talking about with Godfather in that, like those period pieces, they, it's harder for them to feel dated. Um, and because that, I think that's why it's had such a long run, the music is of, of that time and it just kind of works And then on top of it, you have things like raging bull that I think film classes will watch for a long time And then you have he won a best picture for departed not his best work, but sim- certainly a good movie He's had more misses for sure, you know, like, you know kundun and a few other ones that like, uh, that's not a great movie all in all, I don't know. I think I, I think i choose scorsese, but um, but tarantino has more of my and pulp fiction will last forever so that's, that's another example of something that will last forever. I personally enjoy, if I only, if I could only pick one library to have the rest of my life, I think I probably would take maybe Tarantino's, even though it's smaller, there's more, there's more movies of his that I love, love, love. Uh, that's a good question. How about I you? Which would, one would you take? Who would you rather
1: be? I was thinking this, I was kind of the same way. I'm thinking of like the prestige you get of just being Scorsese versus Tarantino, which is, a it's, it's, it's certainly a, a slight rung below, but then I was starting to think like if pick a movie from each director and they're on TV, which one am I going to gravitate towards? I think I'm probably going to go towards Tarantino most likely just because of the age of the movies, right? They're, they're of our time, right? So you watch raging bull nowadays, or you watch, you know, pick any one of his older movies. Well, uh, yeah, I think kind of, like
0: mean streets, it's it, like, yeah. like raging bull is weird. Raging bull is just such a hard watch. Cause he's like that, you know, Jake O'Malley is such an awful character. It's not right. really a very fun, fun watch.
1: Or last temptation to Christ. Or yeah. Like, okay, it's not I a yeah. fun watch yeah as opposed to like oh it's let's let's watch some tarantino and and light this up for two hours
0: uh yeah i totally agree uh, the other thing too is you know has made 25 movies tarantino's made nine so that that can be tough a tough comp there yeah i it, it's a it's a good question you know who you know basically that's kind of like asking the, who would rather be you know babe ruth or william Mays. So it's two two of the absolute best so uh you can't i don't think you can go wrong with either answer
1: uh right. anything else on goodfellas before we move on I will say the only thing I would say when we were in the theater watching it, this might be the first, maybe it's because we become the iPhone generation where we're, it's more difficult to sit down and put things away and, and just focus on one particular issue. This was the first time I watched this movie where it felt a little long. And again, I've seen this movie 50 times, but it was one of those things that as I'm in the theater with it, unable to distract myself to walk out and get a glass of water or whatever, go to the bathroom. Like I felt the length of the movie for the first time. And that was a little, I wasn't expecting it, but it was definitely something that hit me.
0: So this run to two twenty six. I just I'll say a couple. Well, let's talk about it right now. I mean, the experience this movie was actually kind of horrible. So we were at the Luna Theater in Lowell, uh, which is um, a place I've seen a couple movies. I saw Eternal Sunshine there. I saw that um, Strawberry Mansion there. Both those experiences were fine. You're in plush seats. I-, I will say with Eternal Sunshine, the sound was kind of low, and with this, the sound was very low. Like yes, really low, and. I don't know if that's the problem or if it's the fact that they were serving wine. Those three old ladies in front of us are drinking wine. Like it was going out <laughs> of style. Meanwhile, Justin and I, we went to the one o'clock showing. We're not going to do like the, you know, the midnight showing of Goodfellas is one o'clock on a Sunday. We had three older women in front of us drinking every, every 10 minutes. Another one would go up and get more wine. They're chatting it up. There were maybe 12 people there. And I would say eight of them throughout the movie. were constantly talking. I kind of like yep. did like the swivel, like to give kind of a dirty look. And I realized like, nope, Like when in Rome, like other than me and you and like one other couple, everyone else was chatting the whole time. So I guess you just kind of suck it up at that point. Like you're outnumbered. Look, I give Luna a lot of credit. They run odd, unusual movies. Like, you know, they'll have Goodfellas, they'll have Eternal Sunshine. They played a movie like Strawberry Mansion, which a lot of theaters aren't playing. So I love their film, the choices they're making with movies i really appreciate that especially for this project and i like that they're willing to do something different with their theater they have those plush seats and in between they have like those little tables but i almost wonder if that makes people feel like they're at home because like i said that people were so many people were talking now i don't know if that's it or i don't know if it's fact that everyone in that theater has seen this movie a bunch of times like it's goodfellas has been in our life forever Everyone there, I shouldn't say everyone, a good chunk of people there were older. There's a lot of older people. And I'm also finding during this project that the people talking in movies aren't little kids. When I go to kids movies, they're not parents or younger people or teenagers. It's these older baby boomers, uh, baby boomers basically, you know, or maybe very old gen Xers. These are the people that have been chatting it up left and right at the movie theaters. I don't know when that happened with that generation. They didn't used to behave like that, like 15
1: years ago. I don't know what happened. There, I'm not sure either. And I what's interesting is there was definitely, I will say this, there was at least one couple in there, I'm positive, who had not seen that movie before because they were popping on all of the lines that everyone who's seen this movie a million times knew about it. And there was definitely, I remember one guy on the right who was just going nuts about it.
0: I don't know if I'm in a rush to go back anytime soon. I so said the last two movies, that I said the volume was so low, and and this experience was was loud. This was disappointing. This was the first time I've gone to a classic movie, and I was like, eh. And it sucked because like The Godfather, like there were many more people at that theater. And that was such a great experience. And no one said a word. And this time just had people chatting the whole time. It was tough. But I mean, that happens. I mean, it's, it's going to run to that. Especially as people keep going to the movie theaters. Um, I, I told you uh, uh, on Sunday that I've seen a real uptick in people going to these movies. Like I've seen so many more people in February and March than I saw in January. You're starting to see more and more people starting to, to, to go out there for sure.
1: And Batman made 130 million dollars over the weekend. That's phenomenal. Yeah,
0: 134. I'll have the box office report uh, next episode. But yeah, number one, 134 million this weekend. Um, just a monster, a monster star for them. Uh, that's a good transition into budget month here. I just mentioned Batman made 134 million. So AMC, I guess. AMC, Regal, and it looks like Cinemark as well, all raised their prices for this uh, initial week of Batman being in the theaters. They raised the tickets anywhere between 50 cents to $1.50 just to see the Batman as opposed to any other movie. And I guess um, Regal and Cinemark had done that in some areas for Spider-Man as well. So it looks like this is kind of going to be the norm here. And um, it seems like they weren't getting a lot of bullback from it, especially for the Batman. So I wouldn't be surprised to see that more often. Now, one thing that just came out today, uh, right before we jumped on air, was AMC said it looks like it's only going to run for the first eight days of Batman. So basically, kind of like those first... You know that first weekend and maybe into that second weekend and then i think by sunday they're going to roll back to the regular prices so i don't know 150 surcharge just to see it opening week i don't that doesn't seem too terrible to me what do you think is that
1: i don't have a problem with that again what theaters had to deal with especially theater owners had to deal with for the past two years i think this is our chance to get back to those guys there and say listen we understand we're more than happy to pay those extra prices you want to raise concessions a dollar you know, on everything all around, that's fine. Because I think movie theaters are important to have in our lives, especially moving forward.
0: Yeah, I mean, the good news is that, you know, concessions, the, like they're keeping those relatively the same. It's just that ticket. So, you know, if you're willing to wait a week and see it, if, you know, money is tight, I don't think that's too bad. I was worried they're going to be like the first, like five or eight weeks. It's like, uh, at that point, that kind of sucks. But if it's just one week, you know, or whatever, say two weekends, the first two weekends it's out, that's not, I don't think that's too terrible. So I, we'll see what happens going forward. They, they Everyone admits that, like all the, the big three theaters, which is Regal, Cinemark, and, uh, and AMC, obviously. And AMC, by the way, is responsible for about a third of that money that came in for Batman. AMC is is really is the behemoth of, of theaters in this country. And they all agree, like, look, this is just a test for us. We're kind of just we're rolling this out very slowly. We're seeing how it works. We're not committing to anything. We're intentionally not saying a lot because we don't know what we're kind of playing it by day here. Um, so, and I think you're right. I think as much as theaters have had to deal with the last two years, as well as just theaters in general were, were suffering even in 2019 before the pandemic. So I don't have a huge problem with that. The good news for my budget though, is that, um, my budget continues to be okay. Now the gas is, is hurting me five days ago. Say gas was like 375. And then I went and filled up my, my, my car on Sunday. It was 399. And by Monday it was 417. I'm like, what is happening? Like it's jumping up in insane amounts. And that's hurting my budget. But even saying that, so even though, uh, my budget has uh been getting hurt by the gas here. I am at twenty-four fifty for the year. I'm down to thirty-seven sixty-nine a day, which is thirteen seven fifty-seven uh if I did it for the entire year. So it continues to go down. So that at least is promising. Listen, going to a movie every day is a tough task, both logistically and financially. Luckily, with the help of Tom Treshock from CNA Financial Group, you can reduce your worry about the financial planning portion. Tom's approach helps show your big financial picture and finds ways to build income and protect wealth all while maintaining your current way of life. To schedule a meeting with Tom to find out more, give him a call at 732-403-7747. Once again, that's 732-403-7747 to book your meeting. Give him a call today. Registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLCPS. Securities, products, and advisory services offered through PAS member F-I-N-R-A-S-I-P-C. CNA Financial Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of P-A-S. Okay. So Hotel Transylvania 4, Transformania, uh, which is the movie I ended up seeing. I saw it actually on Saturday. Uh, I brought my nephew to see it. It's the fourth of these movies. I think kind of the business side of Hotel Transylvania, Transformania, we'll call this Hotel Transylvania 4, uh, is is more interesting than the movie itself. The movie itself kind of stinks, getting a a D plus from me. By the way, Goodfellas it's an A plus. But it was initially going to be with Sony. So Sony made this movie. It's the fourth movie in the series. And this is the first one where Adam Sandler and Kevin James and the director of the first three bailed. They they left the series, which is interesting to some extent because each Hotel Transylvania movie made more than the one before it. But obviously, because, you know, the third one made a lot of money, they still wanted to make this fourth one. So they wound up uh, Selena Gomez wound wound up taking over as executive producer. Adam Sandler, Kevin James left. But then some of the crew remained like Steve Buscemi, David Spade. They still had quite a bit of stars, if you will, in this movie. So then while they're making it, you know, COVID happens and they were having a tough time getting it scheduled when they wanted it to be released. They realized pretty quickly, Hollywood did that children's movies just aren't making a lot of money because, you know, kids aren't vaccinated. Parents are afraid to bring them to theaters. So Amazon jumped in and bought the movie from Sony for a hundred million dollars, which is a lot of money for sure. But this movie, these movies typically made a lot more than that in the box office. So that must've been a tough, pill for Sony to swallow. So to make that a little better, and this just actually just dropped a couple of days ago, um, Sony maintained the rights to be able to release this movie in China. So the rest of the world is on Amazon, but in China, it's going to be released in theaters via Sony, not Amazon. Uh, because I guess this movie made, these movies made between 30 and $50 million each in China. So Sony was able to, to keep that. And it actually it's going to be released. I think in the next couple of weeks, they announced that, uh, a couple of days ago, that this movie will be in China just in theaters. Like they had, like they had intended it to be. So Amazon releases this movie on January 14th. Um, it does pretty well on prime video. This will, be, they still said this will be the, the last in the series of hotel Transylvania movies. Uh, but it did so well on Amazon. They ended up releasing it in theaters now I don't have any box office numbers here because the streaming services famously don't tell us what these movies make. So take, don't look up. Like Netflix had released that in theaters, um, for Oscar for Oscar consideration, but also just to kind of see how it would do, I think. And it made, made like half a million dollars. It did terribly, but in fairness, Netflix never marketed it to be in theaters. They only marketed it to be on Netflix. So I don't think people even knew it'd be in theaters, but the streaming services don't tell us what these movies bring in. So I have no idea what hotel Transylvania four is going to actually make in the box office. But I think at some point for Amazon, it's just extra, it's like icing on the cake. They've already made their money. Like it's been streamed a bunch. It's been pretty successful. It sounds like for them. And it's, uh, another movie they can kind of like, Hey, another reason to come get Amazon prime. Obviously one more thing for kids to watch, especially when you consider how successful Disney plus is, uh, the movie though is not very good. It feels like a direct to video movie. Um, you know, where, it, you can tell the stars aren't there. The storyline is is pretty is pretty thin, even for a kids movie. I thought the animation wasn't particularly good. It's fine. It's not bad. It's not a terrible movie by any stretch. But when you watch movies like Encanto or Sing Two, and just how creative some of these things are, even something like a while back, like Kung Fu Panda, like those are interesting stories with some creative things happening. This felt like a retread, and it's really what it was. I, I mean look, if your kid, my nephew loves the series. He loves these movies. He thinks Adam Sanders funny and he thinks he likes all that stuff. So this was kind of a a no brainer for an eight-year-old seven-year-old boy to watch. Like this is fun, but unless you really enjoy that series, this is probably a a stay away, but D plus for me for this. Anything else for me, Justin?
1: I was just gonna say, it's very funny. You use the, the phrase direct to video, which is something you and I are very familiar with. That doesn't exist anymore. That was something of our age. We used to go to a video store, and there was something that didn't get put in the movie theaters. It was just sitting on a rack later. It's it's an antiquated phrase that just has no place anymore. It's very similar. I, I think about it. I work every day on my computer, and anytime you save a document, the save icon is this hard drive, this little floppy disk that nobody has anymore. So it's just it's very funny that we still refer to these things in this way, uh, and yet they don't exist. No, you're absolutely
0: right. I think yeah, probably younger girls are like, like they probably know it is like <laughs> video on demand. <laughs> or even direct-to-streaming. I mean, that's become... A, right. Although nowadays, though, like some of like, you know, Don't Look Up had a monster cast. Like even direct-to-streaming or, you know, doesn't even mean anything anymore. The line between being something for the movie theaters and something for the home consumption when we were growing up in the 90s is so much different than it is now where the lines are so blurred where some of the TV shows you see are some of the best... Narr- like something like the TV show Made on Netflix. Like the, that's some of the best highest quality acting performance you'll see in any movie in the last decade. And that's on a TV show. Um, you know, you know, Sopranos obviously changed everything. So, so did mad men to some extent, but the the, uh, the lines really have blurred. And, um, But then you have something like Batman come out, though, and that is a special enough movie that people are running out to see that it's making huge money and it is an event. And people were talking about it all weekend on social media like this was the first movie. This was even bigger, in my opinion, from a social media perspective and from a hype perspective than even Spider-Man was. Now, Spider-Man is a sequel. It maybe isn't fair. This is a completely, you know, this is new where Marvel puts out these movies consistently but this had people like really amped up i saw some really interesting movie debates on twitter on some some websites of people like and some really like intelligent back and forth and i don't know this def like i felt a lot more encouraged about like where movie theaters are after this weekend than i was uh, even a couple weeks ago
1: that's great actually i heard that i could be wrong about this but i heard that batman is also getting spin-offs based off of the characters they create so ultimately this will end up probably becoming another marvel and ip it will be Sick of it in five years, but for now, I think it's the best thing that cinema could actually have is to get people back into the theater and get them excited for this new and exciting content.
0: Yeah, there's talk they're going to make some of the uh characters into like a a, basically Gotham police force, and that's going to be a show that was a comic book for a while as well. Was the Gotham police? It was an interesting comic book. Um, so yeah, it sounds like they want to do some things from this movie to kind of keep this, you know, keep that franchise or that Batman franchise going. No surprise, there obviously, it's white. That's why wonder why to spend so much money on these things. Um, but that is interesting. I will be back uh, on Thursday with uh, my reviews of the movies, Marry Me and the uh, Oscar nominated shorts live action. So I'll be seeing more of these shorts, uh, but also the Jennifer Lopez Owen Wilson rom-com. I will talk to you folks on Thursday. Thank you, Justin.
1: Thank you.